0: History's strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. If you hear a historical story, and at the end you feel thoroughly satisfied by it, and find that it perfectly coincides with your own political inclinations, it probably means that you're actually listening to ideology or mythology. History won't oblige us, and much of its challenge and interest come from its immovable differingness from us and from our own world. So what we have to do is to approach it as calmly as possible. Richmond and Transmission and Auto Service brings you hour three of this Tuesday morning, February 27th, of 2024. Headline at BillMick.com. Bias. First two hours covered that, and it was an interesting discussion. If you missed any of it, the podcast section of BillMick.com and the BillMick Live iHeartRadio channel will let you catch up to it just a little bit after the show today. As it is hour three of a Tuesday morning, Dave Bowman, who's been with us all day, brings us Dave Does History in this hour. We're going to explore um, term limits of the President of the United States and the 22nd Amendment. Dave, what do you got in mind this morning, buddy? Let us start this morning with a humorous anecdote.
1: Let's. That's, that's That's a good idea. That's fancy language for a joke. In 1943, there was a young soldier named Johnny who was sent to the Pacific, to Guadalcanal Island, where the fighting was all but over. And he was anxious to get involved in the fighting because his girl back home, Sally, you know, he wanted to impress her with, with all the medals and the war hero stuff. And so he gets to the island of Guadalcanal, where the fighting has all but ended. There's just a few Japanese soldiers in the in the bush, and he's disappointed by this, Bill. He's he's a little upset because how is he going to get his medal and, you know, win Sally? and and all that kind of stuff, and he's complaining to his sergeant about this, and he's very depressed, and his sergeant says, hey, I got a, I got a solution for you. Here's what you do. See that hill over there? You go up that hill, and at the top of the hill, you stop, and down there and below the hill, there some, there's a few Japanese soldiers left, and what you do is you stand at the top of the hill, and you yell at the top of your voice, to hell with Hirohito! when you do that, one of the Japanese soldiers is bound to stand up. You shoot him, you get your medal, right? Okay. So the soldier heads off to do this. And the sergeant stays back. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. he never hears a shot. And a couple hours later, the soldier comes back. And he's like, well, what happened? I didn't hear a shot. You didn't. And he says, well, I got to the top of the hill, like you said. And I stood there and I... I yelled at the top of my voice, to hell with Hirohito! He said there was a rustling down below me, and a Japanese soldier stood up and yelled, yeah, to hell with Roosevelt! And of course, I can't shoot a fellow Republican.
0: <laughs> I like it. Well done.
1: Theodore Roosevelt, or not Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt is generally considered to be the reason for the 22nd Amendment. And we're going to delve into that in
0: just 60 seconds. Dave Bowman with us. Dave Does History. What we're doing and we're looking at the 22nd Amendment. All right, Dave, Roosevelt, presumed to be the cause thereof. Tell us what you've got here. It's easy to say
1: it's because of Franklin Roosevelt, but... This debate over term limits it has been a long-held debate. This was debated during the Philadelphia Convention in 1787 because the presidency, as we've talked about before, is like nothing else in history. There's really nothing in 1787 to really compare it to. You could say, well, it's kind of like a prime minister, but a prime minister sort of serves at the king's... The monarch, who is the real power, is pleasure, and so forth and so on. This is different. This is a chief executive. And executive authority carries with it certain things that we're concerned about with regards to how much power they have, what kinds of things can they do. And remember, in that era, when they were doing this, Congress wasn't going to be there 24-7 all the time. Right. It's different. And so how long of a term should the president have should it be 1 year should it be 8 years should it be 4 years should it be should it be for life there were those who believed that the president should be appointed for life and then go on its way if you don't make the president for life how often should he be reeligible for for election some feared that if you had unlimited reelections, it could lead to a monarchy or even a tyranny as a popular president may perpetuate their power indefinitely. Mm-hmm. But others argued, Bill, you would have been right at home with this, that reeligibility was necessary to ensure that a capable president could continue to serve. Mm-hmm. If you had a good president, go on. Originally, you had the, the Virginia plan which was a, the, proposed that the national executive be elected by legislature without specifying the term of length, length of term, sorry, or reeligibility, um, which was interesting because it left open the possibility of legislative control over the executive, which doesn't work either because now the, the president is working for the legislature rather than the country. Then you had the New Jersey plan, which proposed a plural executive. This was interesting. With more than one person. But there were no provisions for terms or reeligibility or whatever. And of course, there were arguments about having three executive governments and so forth and so on. And all of these plans were really problematic because, again, the presidency was seen as a dangerous, very dangerous creation. And the concern of the framers who you know, wrote the Constitution that summer was that this person could, in theory at least, become so powerful that they could begin to rule the country with, I don't know, a phone and a pen Mm -hmm. as opposed to congressional oversight. And this is why it is so ingrained in the Constitution that one of the things I hate is this idea that we have three co-equal branches of government, co-equal in power and glory, like there's some sort of triune deity of our government. It was not intended to be that way. The Congress was supposed to be the most power. The legislative was supposed to be the body. Congress answers directly to the people. Every Every two years, you elect your representative. In the... Senate side, they were supposed to answer to the states, and every six years they would you know choose those folks and this right. was supposed to be government was government bed closest to the people, two years you elect your your House representative and off they go. This president thing was really really difficult, as i 've said before on this show, everyone knew that the first president was going to be George Washington, and George Washington himself was beyond reproach no there was Nobody was going to question George Washington's motivations. Nobody was going to question his loyalty or anything like that. But if you just looked around that room where the Constitutional Convention was held, you could see men who weren't up to that standard. And the presumption was some of them someday might become president of the United States. Mm -hmm. And we might have people who become president of the United States who are mm, less than honorable. And with that much power and authority and the potential to have more, how do we limit that? Well, you might think term limits would be, you know, a, a common thing. I mean, we put term limits on the House every two years. Now, the fact that we don't use them because we, the voters, are... It's the word I'm looking for. There's a word for it. Stupid. Stupid. That's it. Uh, yeah. You know, and we're not smart enough to realize. And because we have a, a permanent political class, which has dedicated itself to the idea of staying in power, mm-hmm. that's problematic as well. But we do have those term limits should we elect to use them. The idea of the presidential term being four years was a compromise position. Other, other organizations have done it differently. Certain governments have done it differently, but we ultimately settled on that. But no term limits were put in place. The only restriction that was one of these unwritten rules, and it was that's the best way you can describe it, was that George Washington, the American Cincinnatus, the Cincinnati was the Roman general who laid down his power and went back to his farm. The American Cincinnatus and George Washington was seen as the the standard, and George Washington essentially said, after two terms, I'm not doing this anymore. Now, there's a lot more to it than that. Washington had had enough of the politics uh, in the Capitol, and he was tired of the the criticism and that kind of stuff. But he went home to his farm, and and laid down the power that he had, which of course caused other people around the world to realize that this is a great man. He's he's like Cincinnati. He walked he walked home and. Left the whole thing behind. And the presumption for many, many, many years in this country, Bill, was that if two terms is good enough for George Washington, it's good enough for you. You are not George Washington. Therefore, at the end of two terms, it's time for you to step aside. And of course, that's what happened until along came Franklin Roosevelt. The nineteen thirties, who decided to run for a third term, which was kind of surprising, but at the same time, it wasn't against the Constitution. So No, not at all. What do you do? Well, of course he won, and then he did something that had never been done before. He ran for a fourth term. Now we got a real issue, don't we?
0: Sounds like we do, and we're going to dig into it in this hour with Dave Does History on Bill McLive. We'll let you in with your calls in our final segment, and uh, stay with us. Lots to cover as we look at presidential term limits and the 22nd Amendment with Dave Does History. dive into
2: history. Dave Bowman joins us on Bill Nick Live.
0: As we look at the 22nd Amendment and um, term limits for the President of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt didn't have any, and now we do. Dave, let's get back into it.
1: So when you're talking about these kinds of things, many of the arguments for and against presidential term limits, Bill, apply to many of the same discussions we've had in the past about other offices as well. So it's probably a good thing to look at this. By the time Roosevelt finishes his second term, I have this theory about second term presidents. I don't I don't personally understand why any president wants to have a second term. There is almost no example of any president in American history who had a quote unquote successful second term. Even Washington was so fed up during his second term that that's why, basically why he quit. You tend to see the scandals, the problems, the disagreements, all that kind of stuff tends to really intensify during a second term of any well, given it's,
0: president. It's, 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 that you see uh, cabinet members start shuffling out, sometimes right. within one term, but certainly as that second term rolls around, you start seeing folks saying, "Okay, that's been enough for me." Right,
1: and you know by that point the media is not uh, not supportive, and of course under the Twenty Second Amendment now it's a little bit different because now you're shuffling for position. But prior to that, it just tended to to decline, and so that's why it was very unusual when when Roosevelt, who had spent most of his second term and and the latter half of his first term doing some things that were very controversial that we don't talk about, the New Deal you know people talk about the new deal today as this panacea of stuff and we forget how controversial it was and how how disagreed with it was and how mm-hmm. how close that thing was his whole court packing scheme where when the court started striking down elements of the new deal he threatened he threat the president threatened to pack the supreme court so and congress was like hey wait a sec you know now, there were some in Congress who were like, yeah, that's a great idea. By the time his second term ended and he was getting ready, he announced that he was running for his third term, things were not, you know, all that rosy in, in the administration. And in fact, his vice president, a guy by the name of John Nance Gardner, said, no, that's enough for him. His vice president said, I'm running against you in the 1940 oh. election. He lost, of course, but. As we know, Roosevelt goes on to become a wartime leader during the Second World War, and then in 1944 he changes vice presidents again to Harry S. Truman, and wins that fourth term, which again didn't last very long. But it was the the impact of that fourth term that really got people talking about whether or not this was the right thing to do or not, and so. The 22nd Amendment, which was ratified today, February 27, 1951, was proposed, it was debated, it was argued, and passed by Congress, and then ratified by the requisite number of states. And now that is
0: the law today. But the arguments continue. So, were the feelings, Dave, that we've got a term limit this office, we can't? Have this, you know, 16 year dynasty of a president or what?
1: You'll not be surprised to learn that how you felt about the 22nd Amendment in the 1950s really said more about you than it did the issue. What's which side are you coming from? If you were a Republican, you were probably very much in favor of the 22nd Amendment. If you had happened to be a Democrat in that era, your, your feelings about it might be a little more mixed. I mean, FDR is your, he's your hero, right? And, well, what happened? Most people, or many people, I guess I should say, supported the amendment as a necessary check on executive power. Prolonged mm-hmm. tenure could lead to a concentration of power reminiscent of a monarchy or, even worse, a dictatorship. These folks believe that the amendment was crucial for maintaining the democratic principle of regular leadership change and preventing any future president from dominating American politics as Roosevelt had. Now, again, I would argue that the real failure was Congress, but there you go. As I said, there was a partisan divide. Republicans favoring the amendment as a way to prevent some other Democrat from maintaining power that long. And remember, Jackson was a very popular, Andrew Jackson, very populist Democratic president who probably could have stayed president for a long time. But I'm not better than Washington. I quit after two. Democrats, on the other hand, more likely to view the the amendment as a reaction against Roosevelt's policies and thus tended to be criticized, critical of it. There was a lot of concern about leadership continuity. Critics of the amendment argued that it could prevent experienced and effective leaders from guiding the nation through a prolonged crisis or completing long-term projects. They believe that the decision on the president's tenure should be left to the voters in each election. And this is kind of your, as I understand, your position on things.
0: Leadership. Well, on term limits for, for certain offices, most certainly, yeah. Yeah.
1: Now the problem with that argument is of course, what happened when Roosevelt died? Well, Harry Truman took over, and did anything in our war situation really change? I mean, yeah, not, toward the end. Well, yeah, not really, but I mean there you go. Um, there was discussion about how the amendment might affect the way presidents approach their second term. Knowing that they could not seek reelection, would they be more likely to be governing by a phone and a pen, or would they be more reliant on Congress? Or would they see themselves as being free from electoral pressures to respond to what the people actually want? This could be a negative impact of that. Opponents and supporters of the amendment both argued from democratic principles to justify their positions. And while some saw it as a democratic safeguard against authoritarian rule, Opponents would contend that term limits infringed upon the democratic right of the people to choose their leaders without restriction. And so there were this, the same arguments, Bill, that we're having today. just Yeah, about. sounds
0: very much like a lot of the arguments around term limits today. Right.
1: And, of course, there were other people that weighed in. Harry Truman uh, was uh, president at the time, and he was not subject to the limits uh he had mixed feelings about it chose not to run for a second full term in 1952 even though he was eligible why probably because truman wanted to go home and there is a fantastic book that i cannot recommend highly enough that my father of blessed memory loved about harry truman leaving the white house in 1952 getting in his car and driving back to missouri it's just an amazing book and if you can find it you should read it uh, but it's it's that same attitude i'm not as good I'm not George Washington. Why do you want four more years of me?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's go to somebody else. The reactions were mixed. The reactions were all over the place. And, of course, most general public had varied reactions, very varied reactions as well. And so it's really been up to us over the past, I don't know, 50, 60 years now to decide whether or not this works for us. And you will not be surprised to learn that some people want it repealed. And some Any of those people
0: actual movement to that end. There have
1: been multiple filings of repealing amendments. None of them so far have passed, despite the chance of four more years, four more years. It still hasn't happened and probably isn't going to for the same reasons that it was passed
0: in the first place. Very good. We've got more to wrap it up, and we'll take your calls when we continue with Dave Does History right here on Bill McLaughlin.
2: No time to call? Drop your thoughts to us with the Talk Back feature on the iHeartRadio app.
0: And if you do want to call, this is the segment to do it with Dave Does History 321 1240 as Richmond Transmission and Auto Service makes this hour of the show possible. So Dave, we end up heading for this 22nd amendment. What's the reaction as far as the states go? I mean, how long did it take to get this thing passed? What's going on? It
1: didn't take very long to get it passed because it, I think most people saw this, they were deeply concerned about the potential for too much power concentrated in the hands of a single individual. And remember that between the time that Roosevelt was elected in 1944 for the fourth time, and the time of the passage of this amendment in 1951, we're talking about a period of what, seven years, six years? So let's just call it five years what changed in the world from 1945 when roosevelt died to 1951 when 1951 february when this amendment was passed and ratified what changed in the world
0: war was over the war was getting mechanized and industrialized even even more
1: you had another war that had started in korea
0: mm-hmm.
1: and as part of that conflict Douglas MacArthur was essentially fired because he wanted to do something pretty specific and threatened to drop nuclear weapons into this. The world changed from 1945 to 1950 in, in a way that really got people's attention. All of a sudden, atomic weapons were were a huge concern, and this it dramatically increased the stakes of presidential decision-making. And now you've got one guy making that decision. And, you know, look, it's something I know a little bit about that I don't really want to get into when it comes to the National Command Authority and that sort of things, Mm -hmm. much of which has changed since my days. But it essentially comes down to one guy. Do you want somebody that's been in that office for way too long making that decision? Where's the where's the checks and balances on that? By limiting the tenure of the president, the amendment serves as an additional check within the systems of checks and balances. It's central to the Constitution. Is it really a bad idea? I don't think it was, but at the same time, you come back to the arguments about, well, if we limit the president, why don't we limit everybody else? And that's, well... (laughs) The presidency, the executive branch, has been taken over by bureaucrats, too, as have all the other branches, unaclected, mm-hmm. unaccountable. And it's it, it really becomes this question of where's the legacy of all this? What do we look at today? I mean, it's easy to say I would have liked to have four more years of Ronald Reagan, but realistically speak, do you think that would have worked out well? Four more years of Bill Clinton. What? What would that have meant to the country? Bill, both of those presidents in their second terms were already facing massive resistance and challenges. Mm-hmm. And and again, I I tend to lean into the James K. Polk model, which is why would any president want a second term? You know it's going to be – you, you know you're not going to get your way.
0: You, Let me take you a different angle on this, though. Is a non-consecutive second term, like Donald Trump is seeking, is that like a new presidency all over again? And and he's going to face crap anyway, because that's all he's faced since he ran. But will this presidency be unlike a second term in that regard? When Grover Cleveland was defeated the first time,
1: his wife told the White House staff, don't change anything because we'll be back in four years. And of course, he's the only other guy that's done that. Mm -hmm. two non-consecutive terms and his second term was not successful it was not not what you would call i mean was it a disaster no but at the same time it wasn't where he got to to do whatever he wanted to do and and it, it was there was a lot of resistance to it it was seen as a second term that was just it slightly interrupted and you know say what you will about donald trump and i'm sure people will I don't think a second term for Donald Trump. If you thought the first term was a zoo, just, you know, like in the words of Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts because you ain't seen <laughs> nothing yet.
0: Well, I'm just wondering if what's happened in the country in the last four years by the time the new president is elected weighs into that. Is there. The, the anti Trumpers are always going to be that and they're always going to be there. Will there be a change in tenor from the Republican Congress that he had to fight to get some things done? Will, will that be any easier to work through? Why would it be, Bill? Ooh, it depends on who we send to Washington, D.C. That's why I think well, the congressional elections at. are at least as important as that of the president.
1: The bigger issue here is Congress giving up its authority to the executive branch and always has been but at the same time these people are going to they're sharks bill they're going to be looking at bill he's going to be out even if he wins he's going to be out in four years Mm -hmm. who's next who's the next who's the next thing now i think in some ways that's healthy for a for a republican democracy but at the same time it means that nobody has to cooperate why would they want him to be successful even Republicans, why would they want him to? They don't want him to be too they would successful. would like
0: to see the country in a better shape than it's in today. We want like to, to believe that. Yeah, we, we want do. to believe that, but what has our history shown? The politicians are self-serving. And we'll be back in 60 seconds. This is Bill Mick 321-768-1240 lets you get in with Dave Does History on Bill Live. Line one, you're up first. Tell me what you're thinking here.
2: Uh, mario Cape Canaveral yeah Mario um, great discussion the um I believe that uh, that uh, that we we're gonna have a problem in terms of uh, in terms of the term limit because what is going on is our e- elected chosen representatives are being term limited but the non-elected bureaucrats are running the show they're running the whole country some of these some of these bureaucrats just serve for 30, 40 years. Uh, and so I think the American people are being are being uh, kind of like left out of this. And in, in, in the, in the, in the entire thing is out of our hands at this point. And as far as Donald Trump goes, I believe that he exposed to conservative Americans. We can see now that there is indeed a deep state. There are deep state insiders and that there, there, there is, you know, the New World Order crowd, uh, you know, want want to uh, basically get rid of our Constitution, get rid of the American way, have a one world government that, you know, even Bush, George Bush, President Bush said we are now in a new world order. And uh, so I, I, I think that uh, that Donald Trump, even if we have to have a, a revolution or a civil war or some damn thing like that, we have to stop this new world order. We have to we have to root out these people.
0: All right, Mario, thanks. We go to line two. You're on Bill McLott.
3: Yeah, good morning, Bill. This is Barry from Palm Bay, but I'm currently in San Antonio, Texas with my daughter, Lisa. we're on our way to her new assignment. You know, I I have this feeling that we ought to change that uh, 22nd Amendment and include uh, members of Congress. Uh, You know, some of them have been there, like like, uh, previous callers said. Then they're way too long. The only problem is to do that, you have to have constitutional convention, and as you know, a constitutional convention they get free reign to change anything they want, not just one specific thing. You it's you can free have free a ch-
0: you can have an amendment without a constitution. You can have a change to an amendment without a constitution. Just propose another amendment.
3: Yeah, but I, I thought I thought, but the, you have to go through that ratification with all the different states to do it, don't you?
0: True, and they have to ratify. Sure but it doesn't require convention.
3: Okay, well, uh, well uh, that didn't come into my thinking for some reason, but we've, we've got congressmen, we have senators, we have uh, representatives, and they're way too long. And, of course, the only way you can get them out is uh, you know, not vote for them, but if there was a, a law in place which said they were limited by a certain term, I think that would be a lot better for all of them.
0: Well, I would agree with you if it didn't show to be completely different in the Florida legislature. Dave, let me give you a couple of thoughts in here before we get back to our next call.
1: So Barry uh no, you don't have to have a convention. Congress itself could propose the amendment. And you say to yourself, well, they would never do that. Or well, remember, they proposed the 17th Amendment because they were afraid they were going to lose their jobs. So depending on the pressure and the the public opinion, we could force that. But the problem with that is everybody wants Congress people that have been there too long out, but you're not willing to move to their district to vote against them. And the people in their district will still want them. So isn't that democracy?
0: It is. Line three, you're up on Bill McLive. Good morning.
3: So, hey, Bill, it's Lou.
0: Yeah, Lou, make it quick, sir.
2: Everyone's bringing up the bureaucracy problem, and that's the thing that's the biggest issue. If you don't include something like the Rain Act to rein in the power of the executive branch or these agencies.
1: You put term limits on Congress, a congressman's going to be irrelevant.
0: <laughs> I, I see that. it happening in Tallahassee on a regular basis. They're short term thinkers. They they bow to the will of the speaker because they want to get whatever done they can get done. We don't develop statesmen anymore, and it's a big part of the problem. Line four, you're up on Bill McLive. Good morning. Good
2: morning. This is John in Melbourne. Very quickly, uh, Dave, uh, you're Your lesson here this morning has demonstrated the gradual and uh, shift from the power of the Congress, the directly elected body, into uh, what we have now. The more we got away from that, the more these things you've cited uh, have become uh, prevalent and problematic. And I don't, I don't want to lose that lesson right there. Wonder if you have given thought to how we can reverse that trend and go back to Congress with the directly elected people.
0: Oh, good question, John. Dave, why you see
1: that? The answer to your question is yes. I have thought about this. In fact, one of the early episodes of Constitution Thursday is called "The Cargo of the Brig Aurora," and we talk about where did this begin? Where did it begin that Congress gave up its power to the executive? And you'll be not be sure. You may be surprised to learn that it was in 1790. Eightish that Congress began to give up their power to the to the executive. How do we get it back? The only way to get it back has been an enlightened and a virtuous citizenry. and I have no idea how to do that.
0: I think we've learned from our discussions on religion and virtuosity that it ain't going to be easy.
1: It will not be easy in fact, as as Livy said, you know we, we, we can't uh, we can't stand the problem.
0: Well, we don't want the remedy either. Hey, Bowman, thank you, my friend. Always fun. We'll see you next week. We'll see you then.